Hey everyone, I'm Andy Petronic, and this is the Whole Life Challenge Podcast. It's the place we talk to exceptional people about the things that make them tick, exploring their life successes, lessons learned, daily habits and secrets, what helped them to get where they are, and how they stay on top of their game. And I'm back, everyone, with another episode of the Whole Life Podcast, and I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Uh, his name is Dr. Lane Sebring, and um, I will get to a little bit more about him in a second, but I want to rant a little bit first. Um, we're currently in the off-cycle between challenges. I call it off-season. You're off-season, right? You're taking a break. You're resting. You're recuperating. You're recovering. You're letting the lessons learned from the challenge sink in, or I guess sink in, seep in, because it's, it's slow. I was telling somebody the other day about my shifts over the course of the last challenge in terms of my diet and my, my desire, actually, this, this high level of accountability I maintained as, as a ketogenic in a ketogenic diet. Um, to really restricting my carbohydrates to just vegetables. It, it's been really amazing and empowering. And I said, you know what? It took me, it took me, how many challenges have we done now? I, I, there's, we're somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 or 16. I, I should really have a count up on my wall and um, have them all numbered. It's taken me 15 challenges to get there, 16 challenges to get there. And I started at a pretty high level of, Willingness to be accountable. 16 challenges. You know, it's been six years to be willing to take that step. Now, that it might not take, I mean, I'm a slow study. <laughs> I mean, I'm, not, I'm very resistant to wanting to rid myself of the comfort foods that I've grown to love. And I don't have any pressing health issues that I know of that would make that would suddenly ramp up the the volume or the need for me to make that change quickly. So I want you to be consider being gentle with yourself during this period of 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 off time. Um, I, I was also describing this to the same friend actually, and we were talking about how growth, in my experience, comes like a spiral, like a movement moving in a, in a, um, in a direction. However, most of the time that you're moving, it doesn't look like you're making progress forward or at least part of the time. And it, you know, if you think about movement forward in a spiral, the spiral has direction. And yet if you momentarily look at the movement of a, of a, you know, if you're moving in that on in that line of a spiral, you never look like you're quite going in the right direction. And that for me, and from what I've seen around the, the thousands of people that I've coached, that works being too hard for intense periods of time on yourself. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. It might work temporarily. Might work for even, you know, temporarily could be three months. It could be a year. Typically doesn't work long term. So slow down. 
The other thing I want to talk about that I experienced this week, I was on jury duty and I was in downtown LA and I, I didn't come prepared. I, I didn't really know how long I'd be there. I didn't know if I'd be on a trial. I didn't, you know, I didn't really know anything. I didn't really think about it either. But I, I tend to wear clothes that are pretty universally, you know, they're comfortable enough that I can kind of do things. And I, I have pants that are, you know, they're not jeans. They're not super tight fitting. So um, at lunchtime, we had an hour and a half lunch break. And I went out to Grand Park, which is right in the middle of downtown Los Angeles, people in their business suits all over the place. It's a beautiful area, beautiful little park. And it was gorgeous out. And I decided, you know what? I can get my training in today. I can get my workout in today because I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it when I got home. And uh, I did a body weight workout. I actually am doing the uh, GMB, G, uh, those initials are Golf Mike Bravo. And it stands for gold medal bodies. And it's, it's really about, uh, you know, move like locomotion, um, using your body for locomotion in three distinct movements, the frogger, the bear, and the monkey. I'm going through their program and I, I shot a video of it, put it on Instagram, put it on Facebook. And, uh, it, it was, it was hilarious. The, the reactions that people had because I took my shirt off and I took my shoes off and I, here I am monkeying around, like, you know, moving around like an ape, um, like a monkey, like a frog in this park in the middle of downtown Los Angeles. And I just thought, you know, no excuses. There's no reason I can't do this. Now, if I had been wearing a business suit, probably would have been a different story. Um, so there are reasons why this wouldn't necessarily work. But I wasn't, and I just went for it. And it was, it was, it felt uncomfortable, but actually it was strangely comfortable, more comfortable doing it in an environment where I didn't know anyone. I didn't know, I literally didn't know anyone. And so I was like, well, why do I care what anybody might think of me? Um, you know, the, 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 the thoughts going through my head were things like, um, you know, what if they think that I'm a show off or if that I'm a, you know, like into myself or something, cause I took my shirt off or, you know, the, 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 the things that typically stop me from doing things in public just, I just was like, you know what, just get over it. Just, this is what you're going to do. And it doesn't matter. And you're probably never going to see any of these people again and the hell with it. And I just went for it. So I just want to remind you that if there's a will, there's a way. You may have to plan for it. You may have to plan to execute on it. Uh, you know, like if, like I said, if I was wearing a business suit, I would have had to bring a change of clothes and I would have had to find a shower and change back into those clothes as long as I had to be, you know, in that kind of state. But as a juror, I didn't, there was no requirements on me. I had, uh, you know, so find a way, no excuses, go for it. If not now, when? So uh, I'm going to leave you with that. And I'm going to introduce our guest, Dr. Lane Sebring. Uh, you know, I met Dr. Lane at the, 
uh, Paleo FX conference, and he was working in the booth with Prove It, which is they they make exogenous ketones, and we started talking. And you know, I've always wanted to have a guest on the podcast, a doctor on the podcast, who is a no nonsense. Here's how you need to approach your life for the best effect on your health and well-being. Um, and, and here's how is via diet. Like I wanted to talk to a doctor where that believed it and saw it and, and saw the results of his patients. And I just hadn't found one and boy, lo and behold, boom, here's, here's uh, Dr. Lane. And this is what he does. He's been doing, he's been practicing medicine for 30 years and he considers himself kind of the last um, most of the people that come to see him go there because they're kind of desperate. They, they've, they've exhausted the other resources in their life, their, their, their ailments, their problems, their degenerative diseases, their conditions are not getting better from traditional medicine or from any other place. And they're willing to listen. And I, I think that is really one of the biggest things that they have, those people have over a lot of us They're, that we don't have to listen. There's, there's nothing compel. There's no, there's nothing compelling us, requiring us to listen at this point. There's nothing wrong, but I think we can learn a lot from people who, who do have something wrong and who have exhausted the other resources and then go to a doctor like Lane, Dr. Sebring and ask for help. And you'll hear straight from the horse's mouth. I mean, he's no nonsense. Do this. This is what you got to do. Get on a paleo diet. Here's, here's why. Now, you know, of course, he's not going to recommend a paleo diet to somebody that is, or he's going to recommend modifications to the paleo diet to somebody that is, uh, you know, sensitive to certain issues. He's not just prescribing that straight out. But that's the heart of his... Nutrition, nutrition is the heart of his practice. And, um, it's very, he's, he's got some really awesome stuff to share. He's a brilliant guy. And I was really, I'm really, uh, feel very fortunate to have had him on as a guest on the podcast. And I can't wait to have you guys listen in. So, uh, here we go. Dr. Lane, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, we're sitting here in front of uh, the Palmer Convention Center in uh, Austin, Texas, and we're here for the Paleo FX conference, Paleo FX 17. Um, and um, we were talking, you're, you're at the Prove It booth, which is, uh, we'll get into exactly what that means. Okay. Um, and uh, we got into a conversation about your practice and about your clients and patients and what you've been doing for the last, you know, kind of been up to for the last 20 years, 30 years. Yeah, 20. 20 uh, paleo since 2000, I'm sorry, since uh, 1997. Wow. 20 years 20, now. It's 20 years. 1997 20, yeah, doesn't doctor, seem well, like 20 years ago, but it is. Right. Cordain, Lord and Cordain says, I'm the first doctor in America to base his practice off the paleo diet. Wow. Mm. Wow. And so I was like, okay, we got to get, I got to get you on the podcast because this is what we do. And this is what people need to hear. I, I believe that the more, uh, we, the more medical practitioners we can get who preach the benefit of health 
and nurture and taking care of your body. Because people look at doctors and mm. think they're supposed to know, and they and think they're well. I mean, the problem they, is and, doctors think they do know. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that is a problem. It, it is a problem. Yeah, that is a problem. We're taught to know. And I can't tell you how many questions were required uh, in medical school that the answer was always or never. You know, I mean, it really is taught that way. Right. And there, I can't tell you how many of those were proven wrong before I ever got out of medical school. Wow. So, How did you stumble into paleo? How did, what were you doing up until that point? And what, what was that process for you? Well, I always liked nutrition, and uh, I think my mother got me started in that. She was an Adele Davis fan from the early days and took a lot of vitamins. Who's Adele Davis? Adele Davis is a, let's see, um, maybe she wrote several books, and she, uh, I never read any of them because I was in elementary school at the time, and so, but um, about nutrition, that was quite a bit different. You know, it was kind of like calories don't count type of thing back in those days, and it was a uh, a little more of an Atkins type approach and, and natural foods, mm-hmm. you know. And um, then uh, I got to medical school and all that idea about nutrition was sort of beat to pieces, you know. It's sort right. of sad. Do they spend know? much time on nutrition? No, in they the- don't spend any time. They spend right. a lot of time belittling it right. and telling everybody, sure, go ahead, try it, do whatever you want. It's not going to hurt, you know. And that was the extent of the knowledge. Right. And so... Uh, and nothing ever integrated the concept of nutrition and how and metabolism even. I, I, we never had a course that tied in all of our biochemistry to make sense out of it. It was right. always this pathway, that pathway, right. and never how it worked. And so um, then I got out of medical school and was um, – there was actually an incident that I think was probably somewhat pivotal. I had a patient that came in and said, you know, I've got this problem and that problem and this one and this one and that one and this one, but I don't want to take any drugs. And – I think I was very tired. It was that Friday, a long week, and I said to him, he was a new patient, and I said, well, what did you come to me for? I'm a doctor of medicine. And that immediately started huh. bouncing around in my head and between my ears, and it hurt. And I thought, right. that, I don't like that, because I always like nutrition. Here I am, this guy's coming in, actually singing my song, my philosophy, and I just did that. And I, I, he allowed me to back up, and, <laughs> which I tried to do, and... I actually came up with a pretty good plan for this guy that was all nutrition-based. And then I started going Based on what? Based on um, as much as I knew about nutrition. Okay. And and some principles in medicine. I'm a concept kind of person, so I'm pretty good at taking the principles of that. I I find principles when other people don't. Medical school was very digital. You know, it was, uh, you know, if yes, then go here. If no, then go there type of uh, diagrams. And so. And this was in the early 90s or the 80s? This was uh, probably 96, 95. Okay. So right before you discovered you met Lauren. And and, and then I started getting some literature in the mail saying, hey, we're going to have a nutrition conference here. And then. Were uh, you, were you. So just going back to that patient, when you set up a nutrition program for him, was it. High carb? Was it low carb? Like I was where, a, I where was a fan fit? of Atkins. I knew the high carb thing made no sense. Okay. Um, I recognized that. I was sort of a higher fat Atkins guy because it really worked. Uh-huh. And patients felt better. And uh, so, of course, I'm no longer an Atkins guy. I'm a paleo guy. Right. And uh, so, but I, I got that literature in the mail. I had a good friend coming by who was a, nutri- a, a nutritionist and a pharmacist, a compounding pharmacist. And he had tossed a 
you know, a, a paper on my desk. It was about testosterone and how it lowered cholesterol and raised your HDLs and prevented blood clots and dilated coronary arteries and just did all these things. And I thought, that's not what I was taught. I was taught it could cause liver cancer and this is supplemental testosterone, you know. So, well, this is cool because I would like to have testosterone maybe if mine got low or whatever. And so um, that sort of got me really encouraged and inspired. And I started really looking around and um, I went to a nutrition conference. It was at Boulder Fest, which was incredibly fortuitous because it was, it turned out to be legendary. You know, all of those, every year I would go back and I think I probably went to eight or nine of those. It doesn't exist anymore, but uh, the people that we had, the, um, the game plan that was set up by Robert Crayon who put that together was amazing. It would have these, uh, scientists that had published over 500 research papers each in nutrition, just, you know, guys that are probably worthy of a Nobel prize, you know, against these trainers who had been training people to, for 20 and 30 years, Olympic trainers that were incredibly successful. And so, you know, one guy would say, you know, a membrane research, scientist for 40 years would say, I, I, I take issue with the amount of omega-3s that you're suggesting for this patient. It's going to cause bleeding issues and this and this. And so the guy, you know, he learned, he had learned German and Russian so that he could read their papers. He was already wow. uh, French Canadian. So he had four languages that he could delve into and had read the literature that he needed to read, I think, as much as you could. And, and uh, he said, well, I do PTs, PTTs and INRs. And I've never had any bleeding problems in the last 20 years you know, given 30 tablets or capsules a day of omega-3s into these Olympic athletes. They're faster, they heal fat, uh, better, they're, you know, they have less inflammation, on and on. So it was, it was that sort of um, exposure to the, the application of the science versus the pure science and the debate. It was always like that. You better know what you're talking about. That's, when a, you cool, that's a cool format. It's a cool, yeah, he had, a, he had others. One of the ones I think is probably my favorite is uh, he brought in T. Colin Campbell, who now is famous for uh, Forks Over Knives and the China, was it China Experiment, I think? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, he, he, um, he's basically kind of a vegetarian, but no more than 15% protein. Anything over 15% protein, he said, causes disease. Hmm. Lauren Cordain was his follow-up, who gave him 40 years of research back to him in about six minutes. There were tears in the audience. And he said, well, you picked an area where hepatitis A was endemic in the Philippines, and you gave them 15 years of high, high amounts of casein, which promotes viral replication and inflammation of the gut, and et cetera. It's all the problems that casein does. It's uh, antigenic. And, uh, and these people were developing all these liver diseases, even a four-year-old with liver cancer. And Colin Campbell blamed it on the too much protein. And everybody in the audience was already paleo. And you go, it's casein. It's casein. You can't be giving that much casein, which is 80% of the protein found in dairy. 20% is whey. Right. And so um, he didn't. And interestingly, I'm, I think this story needs to be out there. I was right after... Cordain had lectured, here comes uh, Mike and Mary Eads out who did Protein Power. Yep. And uh, Dr. Mike Eads said, well, after seeing that, what we would like to say is the paleo diet is the book we would have written if we had known more. <laughs> wow. <laughs> right. Wow. Or exactly. Jeez. So 
it was, uh, and then uh, another interesting part of that was uh, Dr. Campbell walked over to Cordain and was in front of me in line wanting to talk to him after his lecture. I was wanting to see if he had room at his table to go to lunch. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Campbell was right in front of me and he went up to him and he got close and he said, I never thought of that. Wow. And I think my knees buckled. Wow. All right. Well, he promptly forgot about that revelation he was handed uh-huh. and went on to continue to say anything over 15% protein causes disease. Wow. Huh. Right. Huh. Well, he's best vested in his own bullshit, maybe, I, you know, or at, at some point he's... Yeah, the bullshit between his ears. I mean, it's right. really unfortunate that a person can do that sort of thing. Right. I'll tell you a short story of another two guys that I actually am writing an essay on these four people. Um, and there was uh, Ken Cooper who wrote the... Uh, a book called Aerobics. He coined the term 1968. And he got everybody running. The Cooper Clinic is Cooper here in Clinic Texas, in right? Dallas, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, an amazing man, and so a tall, skinny runner, you know. Mm-hmm. And so he said he had a long-standing debate with Terry Todd here in Austin at the University of Texas, the Department of Kinesiology. And the debate was over what's the best measure of the health of a muscle cell. Mm-hmm. Well, the tall, skinny runner, Ken Cooper, says it's endurance. And Terry Todd happened to be, at one time, the strongest man in the world. He said, no, it's strength. And that debate was heated at times over a 30-year period. And then one Saturday morning, as I understand, uh, Terry Todd got got an excited phone call from Ken Cooper, who said, you know what? You're right. He said, all that aerobics, all that running did not accomplish what we hoped to accomplish. It wore out hips and knees. Resistance exercise and nutritional supplements, that works. Hmm. So that's a true scientist, a hero of a man, and someone you would just be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It would be a pleasure to be in his presence. Well, willing to step off of the, the, the whatever dogma they've, they've not dogma, it's their own self-created dogma, Maybe, their, yeah. their position. Right. Step off their position and consider that, Maybe they weren't right. You know, like... um, uh, I've had to do that several times in life, and as a result, you get better. Right, right. I mean, I heard uh, Dr. Sarah Ballantyne on the panel uh, Friday night here when she was up with Mark Sisson and... um, uh, yeah, I saw that group. Yeah, and they they talked about how important it is when they change course. Sure. When they reverse the decision, when they went, because they're continuing to look at research, they're continuing to understand more and continuing to learn more, and they're doing the best they can. They're making the decisions sure. based on wh- where they are currently, and something new happens. They get a new understanding of something, and all of a sudden, boom, they change their position. Well, you know, it's actually it's weak and immoral to not do that. Right. You right. know, one of my favorite quotes is from uh, Alvin Toffler. And he's on my, on my uh, desktop, in fact. And he said, The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Well, that's great. Isn't that awesome? I love that. Yeah, I do too. Huh. Yeah. I, uh, have you ever met Gary Reinel? No. He's, um, he's been in the world of physical therapy his whole life, and mm-hmm. he wrote a book called Iced. And he's a big nut, don't ice guy. Like, okay. Don't ice your injuries. And he... Uh-huh has the forward to his book was written by the guy and I can't, his name is popped out of my head um but he was the guy that back in the 80s back in the 70s wrote 
the books on icing injuries. Mm-hmm. And he made a complete retraction in the forward of Gary's book and said, look, I didn't know what I know now. Yeah. And uh, this, that, that was, you know, icing does not speed up the injury process. It actually slows it down. Mm. And the right way to treat doesn't mean that you, if you chop your finger off, you don't want to use ice to stop the, stop the bleeding, right. you know, instantly. But when you, when you sprain your knee or you get a sore knee, you, you don't put ice on it because your body's natural healing, healing process has to occur. And that involves swelling that involves, yeah, you got to keep moving. Right. So, so it's just another example of being willing to step off the position that you've had maybe for your whole life. Exactly. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what we're looking for today. Those, those are leaders. Right. Those are true leaders. People don't think less of those people when they do that. They think more of them. They become actually more trustworthy. Right. Now, there's a lot of weak people running around who need absolutes handed to them and aren't, are unwilling to live in a world of uh, having to think. Well, it makes it a lot harder, right? It makes people, it a lot people harder. want a prescription. Exactly. They want to, they want, what do I do? What do I not do? What, you know, we were talking about this last night with Rob Wolf's new book, Wired to Eat. You know, you have to buy, you have to, you have to figure it out for yourself. You got to buy a glucose meter and you got to test. You got to see how these foods respond in your body. Right. It's a lot more freaking work. Right. They, 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 you know, most people want to just be told. They want to be given a list and this is what you do. Right. And, um, they're boring patients. <laughs> We really are. I mean, yeah. it's, it's yeah. much more fun when someone comes in and wants to, you know, is ready to experiment with you. You know, I have to tell you, I've been experimenting on my patients for 20 years. Right. But I've done it with, in a, nat- with a natural substance. Well, bring me, bring me should... forward. Like when we, so 1997 hit, you met Lauren Cordain, you, right. you, went, you attended this conference. And then how, what did you do and how did you bring it into your practice? Well, five minutes into his lecture, I was converted. I just said, oh, my gosh, this explains everything. Right. You know, why do we get these diseases? And I started thinking, hey, I've never seen a wild animal overweight. Why right. not? You know, right. so I like to ask that question. It's pretty thought-provoking. Yeah. And it can set a, a, a foundation and a stage for, oh, you know, modern medicine never asked that question. Right. And, and so you have these symptoms caused by this disease. Diseases are what we deal with on this planet. No, that's what humans deal with. And our... And our um, domesticated livestock, you know, Yep. and so taken out of their normal habitat and put in another one, guess what? Those genes don't work and what we're feeding them isn't going to be working. You know, cows eat grass, you know, you're going to live 20 to 25 years, pretty much disease free. She's going to be having her babies, no trouble. Yep. You start giving her grains, you're going to lower her life expectancy down to two, maybe three years. And even then you're going to have to be giving her a whole bunch of antibiotics to prevent the liver abscesses, yep. you know? So that kind of thinking begins to open up people's minds. And my goal with all my patients now is to get them to be, be um, directing their own care. You know, pay attention to what works. You're not stupid. There's nothing magic about the intelligence of a doctor. We just have harder rear ends. We can sit there longer and dig into that book and, and go over those notes from class until, you know, so you actually tell patients that they can direct their own. That's my whole goal. It's not that hard. Yeah, that, that is so the opposite of what 99.999% of the world thinks about their doctors. I mean, that the is patient that scares me is the, right, I know, but the patient that scares me is the one that comes in and says, doctor, fix me. You know, right. and I get those words. Right. You know, and I said, well, let's have a conversation here for a moment. You know, that's, first of all, you're putting too much faith in me. Right. That my faith should be earned, my belief in what I'm telling you should be earned. 
should make sense to you. Don't leave here until you understand. Right. I can teach you in a way till you understand it. And if you don't, then maybe I need to look at it again. Right. So it's that kind of relationship. And I think most people, and especially the ones that come to my clinic, my specialty is helping those people that modern medicine has failed. So that's a lot of fun for me. Um, and so um, that allows these people then to, to grow, to come to me. Hey, I found this. What do you think? I think it makes sense mm-hmm. and maybe new to me and I'm looking at it and you know what? This does make sense. Thanks for bringing this in. <laughs> right. It's not going to hurt you. Right. And right. I think it's going to help. Let's go ahead and do this. Let me give you some pointers on how we're going to do this. I can help direct you through this because I feel like I know what I'm doing with it. And because it's principle based, if it all fits your original paradigm, then you, you can fit these new ideas in there comfortably. Now, did you have this philosophy Prior to 97 and prior to, has this always been kind of your philosophy or does this, did this develop into? I I think what I had then was an attitude that was a good attitude about life and people and respect. And part of what I think has happened to me is as, as I developed a method of treating patients, which actually involved thinking Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I thinking like thinking from them or thinking from you or both. Well, both, but mainly right. me is what I was talking about here. And so um, I gained a lot of confidence, self-confidence. You know, I, I can stand up with anybody. Let's let's go toe to toe. I don't care what your expertise is. If I disagree, I can probably make some headway, maybe learn, maybe show you, right. you know, right. that type of thing. And I so and I'm not worried about getting hurt or injured or. Uh, humiliated because I saw the strength in, you know, what Ken Cooper did. Right. I don't have any trouble with this. I'm hard to hurt. Yeah. You know, I've done enough in my lifetime. I've accomplished enough things. I've be, seen be water, my friend. I mean, it's Bruce Lee, you know, like, <laughs> right. Who couldn't learn from him? <laughs> right? So yeah, exactly. So that, I think that's put me at a, a better position. Right. You know, to to help people, to help myself, to be comfortable with myself, feel like I'm. Um, well, I, I guess the best thing is I'm just really hard to hurt right now. I feel like that um, I've done a, a lot. So how so 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 how did you start incorporating nutrition and paleo into your practice? Like what, I what when t- somebody came into you with a medical condition that they weren't able to treat? Like what 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 did you do then? What do you do now? Like how does it work? Well, that Nick, I continue to go to the nutrition conferences, and yeah. I found Jeffrey Bland and functional medicine, and uh, you know, dug into that, got his tapes, and listened to that um, each month, and functional medicine updates, and it was great, and interviews, and and now function. Okay, so just back up. So functional medicine for people that don't know, our listeners that mm-hmm. don't know, is is basically, te- uh, it, and this is my understanding of what functional medicine is, is testing using extensive different types of tests, saliva testing, stool, stool testing, blood testing, to figure out what's going on and then creating treatment protocols based on what's missing, what's lacking, what's not working. Is that, is right. that a well, yeah, for rudimentary sure. understanding? Uh, looking at the cause. Right. You know, let's find a cause for this. But it's through testing. and, and But it's also a lot of supplementation, more right. than diet. And so okay. I'm not quite so much into the supplements, although I right. do use those as a target. I'll use a drug. I still prescribe drugs on patients mm-hmm. if they need it with the hope and the idea of temporarily getting them feeling better and then bridging them over to a nutritional approach because that takes a little more time. Yep. 
And so they may need help now, you know? Right. Right. So, um, but the, yeah, the, I think I'm probably more diet based than functional medicine. So you, did you start practicing functional medicine or did you just learn about it? I just incorporated that, the knowledge that I gained from there to put it into my own philosophy which was, you know, I was kept trying to push the paleo diet on. I tried to, I became a board certified in, in anti-aging medicine, started going to the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine that same year, 1997. Mm-hmm. So I just jumped in. Okay. And that was the year that I started my own practice, Sebring Clinic. Mm-hmm. And so um, became a board examiner for the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. So when people wanted to become board certified, the last part was the oral exam. And so that's where they, they sat before me and another board examiner and tried to survive that. Right, right, right. Because you better know your stuff. Because we didn't want people out there that didn't know what they were doing, yeah. saying they were board certified in anti-aging medicine. We wanted people that would overwhelm anyone that would challenge them with facts, research, results. And so... That was a that was a, a real wonderful learning experience at anti-aging med. I learned more in the first morning lecture from Dr. Terry Hertog, a fourth generation endocrinologist from Belgium, hmm. um, who treated people and his entire family since the 1800s based on their history and physical, meaning they treated people, not labs, because they really didn't have labs right. of any magnitude, and right. so. That was, I learned more that morning than in, you know, five years of drug rep dinners. Hmm. <clears throat> it just, it was, it was what I really wanted to know anyway. This is how I can, re- oh my gosh, these hormones are incredible. So I did, I did a lot of bioidentical hormones. I used a fair amount of growth hormone in my practice. Now they've made that a felony uh, through, I think, three or four sentences in the middle of a bill from uh, Congress that had nothing to do with uh, growth hormone. Mm-hmm. And so that's just the way they do that. So I, you still, you know, uh, there's things we can do to get growth hormone up, but I, I used a lot of the bioidenticals mm-hmm. and then the nutrition paleo based, which I still think is, I like it better than ketogenic. We might talk about those, uh, the, mm-hmm. the three choices I came up with that people can do for that. And why the one that I have figured out is the best. <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, why else well, would you be doing if it? I did, right. If I didn't, didn't think so. Anyway, gotta believe you. Know? Your, gotta hey, believe I may have yourself. to change myself. But, <laughs> That's you know, right. Which I've done before. <laughs> so, um, do you, with your approach with your patients, do you start with nutrition? I, I guess sure. it depends. Okay, so know? let me just give you an example of yeah. what I do. I, I, um, I like to start with a couple of major supplements like probiotics, omega-3, something like that. That's kind of foundational for everybody yep. in today's world. And then... Have them do paleo diet as best they can. Do some targeted labs based on their history, my physical, you know. Where are they putting on fat? Where, they, where don't they have it? That's a hormonal direction where it goes. Mm-hmm. And so, and then just stuff like that. And then I'll have them come back in two or three weeks. If they have a lot of problems, I'll see them back in three weeks because that what gives the, my plan longer to work. And typically those people come back and 80%, 85% of their list is marked off of all their symptoms they came complaining about from their heart out. From, from what have they done those, at that point? Just oh, paleo diet mainly. Wow. And a couple of supplements that I'll, I've figured out what's best for them. How do you get people to comply? And is it not a problem because they're desperate? They're, they've been to many doctors already. Okay. And when they come to me for the most part. And they're ready. These yeah. people are determined. They are focused. They're ready to tell me what to do. I'm ready to do what needs to be done. Are they disbelieving that the diet could could cure them of a lot of I these I think elements? most of them have recognized the drug thing's not working. So there aren't a whole lot of choices. You what, know, meditation, whatever. Right, right. <laughs> 
What are what are some of the common drugs that you get people off of, like when they see you? And well, you? the first thing I take them off is a statin because those don't work. Right. You know, they you can show a, a very minor improvement. They mess with the numbers horribly. Mm-hmm. And uh, to try and that that improvement, uh, statins serendipitously have a slight uh, anti-inflammatory response uh, or or uh, effect, and uh, and so that in and of itself, I mean, you could take you know 200 milligrams of Motrin every day or 100 milligrams twice a day, something like that, or turmeric, whatever, and lower your inflammation and get the same results without the incredible, insane side effects. Look up statin drugs and cancer. For example, right. look up statin drugs and heart failure. You know, um, it's uh, I've I've written to the pharmaceutical companies, and occasionally what you get is some researcher who's who can't stand it anymore, and it gives you everything they've got to show you this drug is insane. <laughs> and wow, right? You know, and so I hope that was helpful for them, and but it was very helpful for me, right? And and just giving me a step by step. Pathway to how this is this supports this this supports that it comes back here bang bang all this this research is real you know you can statins causing heart failure you know because of they don't tell you to take CoQ10 right and that in and of, in and of itself shows you that their their guilt you know Merck who created Mevacor the first statin drug they have three patents with it with uh, Mevacor in a pill with CoQ10. In the same mm-hmm. pill. They never used them. They've never told anyone that they, you need CoQ10. Well, CoQ10 is required for life. 10 milligrams of Lipitor will lower CoQ10 levels by 47% by the end of the first year. Wow. Total body CoQ10. So it's crazy. And CoQ10 does what? what, what well, it, it helps you produce um, energy at the mitochondria. It's a wonderful antioxidant. It's also a free radical scavenger. But what, what is it that if you reduce CoQ10 by the causes, it causes the problem? It, it's part of the energy-making process in the mitochondria. And I've seen different estimates, but I would say probably, let's just say 50% of the volume of a mitochondria, uh, I'm sorry, of a heart muscle cell is mitochondria. Right. Okay, so... It's the powerhouse the, of the, the DNA cell. of the mitochondria is different from human DNA. It's got its own DNA and they self-replicate. It's a different kind because it's not protected. It's not wound around a protein. And it can react with different things as a result and then thus uh, do damage. Hmm. And so the mitochondria in the process of making energy produces huge amounts of free radicals. Well, the CoQ10 is there to scavenge those up so it doesn't do DNA damage. If it does DNA damage, your next mitochondria is not going to be very functional. Right. And part of the aging process is a reduction in number and a decrease in functionality of the mitochondria. Hmm. So here we are causing aging at an accelerated rate and a heart that can't contract as strong as it did before by putting someone on a statin drug. It's just a fact. Right. And so, um, you know, in Japan, it's against the law to make a statin drug without putting CoQ10 in the same pill. In Europe, it is it's required for a doctor to write a prescription for CoQ10 if they give a statin drug. Here, it's over the counter, so you don't need a prescription. But why would a doctor tell you to take something over the counter? I've had doctors tell me that that CoQ10 was contraindicated with a statin drug. Hmm. I mean, that's how programmed they've become. Right. It's uh, so if CoQ, if CoQ10 were in a statin, would you still no. get people off of it? No, the, the whole concept doesn't work. The it's it's like finding a fireman at the fire and blaming the fireman. The, right. The 
middle layer of the coronary artery has collagen in it, and that can get cracks in it. The arteries in the heart have much more stress on them than the average artery because it has two planes of excursion. In other words, two planes of stress. One, every time a, a, uh, the heart beats, all of our arteries have a big stretch that goes as this bolus of, you know, this big push for blood coming through there, yep. sp- stretches it, yep. all right, 100,000 times a day. But on the heart, these arteries are strapped on the, on the outside of a big powerful muscle that rings 100,000 times a day. So you have a shortening effect plus an expansion effect. Hmm. More damage is done. Now, if the, it takes, it takes uh, to, build, to repair that, it takes uh, proline and lysine, a couple of amino acids, and vitamin C. Those are your big ones. So vitamin C tends to be the limiting player there because we don't always have vitamin C. Mm-hmm. So if you can't heal that, then the body will send in LP little a. It's a, it's a small little statin uh, a player that attaches to proline and lysine uh, that is, has unbroken collagen. And then it, the other end of it attracts cholesterol to lay it down as a temporary patch. So you'll, hopefully you'll get more vitamin C or get to a season that has more vitamin C and mm-hmm. actually repair that sucker. But what happens is to, it's, it's, a, it's a place where that can build up and then bacteria can settle in there. Now you have a chronic inflammatory state. Okay. There was a study done uh, where these guys were looking for antibodies uh, in the bloodstream around the world to find out what infections were endemic in certain parts of the world. And they got a, uh, some random samples sent to them. I don't know if it's Denmark, Norway, Sweden, one of the uh, Scandinavian countries there. And they were finding that uh, like 84, 85% of these samples had high levels of antibodies to a bacteria called chlamydia pneumoniae. Well, by the time most of us are 20, uh, we've had that. And, and so we would have antibodies to it. But this was a current active infection, real high levels of these antibodies. So they called back the people and, that gave them the sample and said, you know, we're getting really high levels of uh, titer and you know, levels of the antibody to chlamydia pneumonia. And they said, oh, oh we're so glad you called us. Uh, we, we were just fixing to call you. We, we sent you the wrong batch. That was not a random sample. All those people had had heart attacks. Oh, really? So then they did a, uh, a study where they took uh, uh, 200 people in each group, all, everybody known to have heart disease. And they randomly divided them into two groups. One, one side got a placebo and the other one got uh, uh, Zithromax. It killed most of those. Uh, they, well, what happened was they went, uh, sorry, they went and when somebody died of a heart attack, they would go in there and grab that clot and put it on Petri dishes. And that's, mm-hmm. they would, so they found they grew up, an average of five different bacteria from that. So that's not an acute infection. That's a chronic infection, right? That's like a nursing home patient with an indwelling urinary catheter. Okay. It's infected with all kinds of stuff, right? So that's what that was. It's an old infection. So they chose Zithromax because it uh, was a good choice because it killed almost all of that stuff that was, they were growing. And, of course, chlamydia pneumonia was one of them. And what they found is these people over the next year of taking placebo versus Zithromax, that there were six times more coronary events in the placebo group. Six to one. That's like unheard of. Right. So then here comes Abbott Labs, who has Biaxin. They did a study with Biaxin, and uh, they had 400 in each group, six to one ratio. Oh, we got to have a big study, big study. We have to have a big study. Well, I don't. 
I got cause, I got effect, I got a six to one times two. All right. Right. I'm I'm ready to go with this because giving somebody a Z pack once a year or so like that is not a bad way to prevent heart disease in someone with known heart disease. You right. see what I meant? If I can lower their risk by six times, then I've really done something. By giving them a Z pack or by not giving them a Z pack? By giving them the Z pack. Huh. Because they because a big part of the heart disease turns out to be an infection. Now right. you don't hear much about this, no, this I've study, never heard right? Anything about so, this. Um, a few years went by, and I never I heard there was supposed to be doing a big study, and I knew they were because a friend of mine was part of it, and I called him up, and um, he's a cardiologist friend of mine. He said, "Hey, whatever happened to that antibiotic study that was being done on heart disease?" He said, "Yeah." He said, "They just kind of fell off the radar, didn't it?" He said, uh, wow, you know, so we talked about that, and yeah, it was never published. My guess is because it had dramatic effects, beneficial effects. Right. And you're taking out a whole huge portion of medicine and billions and billions of dollars and maybe putting, you know, cardiovascular surgeons out of work or at least putting a lot of them out of work. Because the drug was... So effective. So effective. But wouldn't that benefit the drug manufacturers? No. A Z pack for twenty five dollars because it's cheap because it's not it's too the, cheap right right I mean we used to treat we used to treat <laughs> right. breast cancer with estriol a super cheap form of estrogen that the body makes because it's really kind of an estrogen blocker right and uh, although estrogen is one of the best things you can take if you have breast cancer now we know that or those who are paying attention uh, but we used it for that but it had a fatal flaw it was incredibly cheap right. So fatal estrogen. flaw for the drug companies. Exactly. Right. Yeah, tongue in cheek, fatal flaw. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so you're doing a lot of work to get your patients off of a lot of these drugs that they've been prescribed. Right. And uh, the the course of action you set them off on is a, to follow a paleo diet. Yes. G- generally. Always. Always. Okay. And um, you're not going to get well to the level you're going to get with a, if you're not doing paleo diet. And what, um, modif- do you make modifications to it? Yeah, some. You know, uh, certainly uh, I don't have diabetics eating as much fruit as someone else. I kind of limit them to half a piece of fruit yep. a day, yep. you know. Um, if they're pretty well controlled and really like fruit, okay, half twice a day, right? Something like that. So I'll make modifications like that. If somebody's a bodybuilder or trying to put on muscle or an athlete, I, they're going to need more. Um, they're going to need more protein. Yep. You know, and so if somebody has some trouble with neurotransmitters and wearing those out, they're going to need more protein. How do you fats. get? How do you get people to uh, to uh, believe that fat is okay? Well, first thing, when somebody comes into my office, they're going to get uh, probably the first 10 minutes or so, depending upon their knowledge level, their cognitive capacity to pick up quick and see the, what I'm telling them, is that the pharmaceutical industry and everything we've been told is wrong. And for whatever reason. And this is why what I'm telling you is the truth for now. <laughs> I have to throw that in, you know, right. we get humbled. Right. And so... Uh, but it works. Clinically, I've had incredible results with patients. Patients have incredible results with their dietary changes yep. and the supplements that are targeted, at least part-time you know, supplementation mm-hmm. until we get them balanced and then, they can, then they've learned to manage themselves. What are the kinds of fat sources that you uh, see your patients normally choosing and eating? Because I, I, mean, I see that as a big 
hurdle. You know, people look at me like I'm trying this ketogenic diet for the first time right. for the next eight weeks. Right. And, uh, you people look at me, you know, I'm ladling olive oil onto my salads. Like it's like, it's, you know, yeah. like some people put ketchup on their hamburger, right. You know, and, uh, uh there's a huge... They think you're nuts. They think I'm nuts. They right. think you're completely... I put butter in my coffee and I have three right. cups of coffee and I mean, I'm putting tablespoons in my coffee right. and people are like, what in the world are you doing? Right. How, how Schwarzenegger you... did that in the 1970s <laughs> to, to get his percentage of fat down as low as he could get it for a competition. He was eating butter or eating fat? His bulletproof coffee. Wow. I mean, they didn't call it... I don't think right. they called it that then, you know. Well, Dave Asprey's came along and... Came that up was, with that one, I yeah. guess, right? Yeah. yeah. No so, surprise. so what? What are? How, how do you bridge that? Is it just the people that it's, you're? It's well. First of all, they they recognize, like I said, the, the what they're doing isn't working. Yep. And here's a guy who has a reputation now that they can. They, right. they were referred here by someone else. They've looked me up. They know I must be real. I get in trouble a lot. And you got the MD after your name. I have the MD that's after a big, my, That's a big one. You know, it's huge. Yeah. I, I'll do it again in a heartbeat, if, no, if for nothing else, because of that. Because I and. Still, you get instant credibility, but right. in some ways, even more because I'm an MD. I know everything my doctor buddies know, and they know nothing about what I know. Right? You know, it's, and that's what I—that's what I let them know. I said, you know, here's the deal. You, I know. Every, you know, if they try to give me a hard time, I said, you, I know everything you know. I went to the same school. I still practice that medicine every day. Okay, and, and yet you know nothing about what I know, and you're trying to tell me I'm wrong. Right. One of right, my favorite right. sayings is, "He who knows one knows none." Right. Right. They only know one. They don't know what they're doing. Right. And until you learn something else, you know, you can be a Southern Baptist. You need to go learn Buddhism, dude. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And then come back and look at it. You may decide that the, your original understanding and everything was, was, was effectively right, but you'll see it differently. Right. Right. You'll have a better understanding of it by it'll having done it. Yeah, it'll deepen your experience and what sure. you believe. Or you may decide right. something else is out there and you want to modify it or change or whatever. You yeah. know? But you need to give yourself the respect that your mind can make a good choice. Right. So, you know, I, I wrote a, once um, an article and that began like this. The most loathsome man in existence is the man who fears to face an issue, refuses to confront Secretly knowing to do so would produce an answer he does not want to hear. For if he did not perceive in the opposing view the distant glimmer of truth, he would not fear confrontation. In fact, he would welcome it, believing it would serve to articulate and clarify his thoughts and thus his convictions. But he is the worst of infidels, for he is unfaithful unto himself, cowardly hiding himself from himself. He senses the direction of truth, but purposefully walks the other way, preferring the false path that leads to his coveted opiate. What is that from? It was an article I wrote. That's beautiful. Thanks. Wow. That's beautiful. It's fun. How, how do you just pull that out? <laughs> I like so to think. That's a mad, that was amazing. Like you're, it was almost like you were reading it. Like it was yeah. right in front of you and just reading it. That was amazing. Yeah. Well, it's appropriate, I think, at this point to yeah. say something like that. Yeah. Kind of give us, an, you know, open up people's minds. Right. You know? So bring us up to now and keto and, uh, yeah. um, um, 
There's ketones. Yeah, you know, people are afraid of ketones. I, so yesterday, I, <laughs> I, I had breakfast with a buddy from the Marine Corps that I haven't seen in 30 years. Literally, we finished what's called the basic school. When you, when you become a Marine officer, you go through a six-month school. He was my roommate. Yeah. They, all your best friends in the Marines or your original friends in the Marines all have names that are alphabetically close to yours. So right, he was, I'm right. Petranic, he's Phillips. And we had two Phillips in my room and a Pekowitz. And so they're, they're my roommates. So this guy, Phil That's Phillips... Hilarious. Uh, from Georgia, and uh, he so happens to be in Austin, saw my Facebook post, and so we went and had coffee. And uh, I was telling him I'm doing this ketogenic diet, and, and they, they started going on about how their son, when he was five, got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, yeah. and, you know, they're ter- they, were, they, were, they suddenly started ketones hearing ketones. Were evil. Right. Ketones are evil. Ketones and, are a marker. Right. You know, right. and that, okay, so let's just put this in perspective, Right. It's really ironic we're afraid of something that is our body is trying to make us better than we are today. And that's making a fuel that is far superior to anything we can eat, which is ketones. But, how, but why should people believe that? You know, like what? Because well, uh, we, we've been told, at least a lot of people have been told that glucose is the, you know, that's the energy substrate that we survive on. You know, yeah, your brain right, survives right. on, your body survives that's on, wrong. blood sugar. That's, well, in today's world, Yes. You know, if everybody ate corn and thought that was the right thing to do, guess what? They'd be thinking corn was, well, you couldn't live without it. I had a debate with a nutritionist one time, and it was on television. She just kept saying, rice is a staple. (laughs) Yes, but you don't understand. There is better to be had. We are nothing but a shadow of what we used to be. So mentally, if anybody that lives with hunter-gatherers will tell you that, they're smarter than we are. A lot of groups have knowledge of the moons of Jupiter. Mm-hmm. They can smell the urine of an animal from 40 paces and tell you what it is, either male or female. Most hunter-gatherer women, about 114 pounds, could out-arm wrestle any man in America. We're not weak. We dominated this land. We, we brought down mammoths. Mm-hmm. You send an Eskimo out in a kayak, he can come back with a freaking whale. How do right. you do that? Right. I mean, we are amazing. Right? Right? So, and those are primitives, okay? Quote, unquote, primitives. That's what we used to be. But let's get uh, the ketone thing. It's really interesting. First of all, diabetic ketoacidosis. That's a ketone level of 20 to 30. We're talking about levels of 2, 3, 4, 5, right. something like that. Right. You have too much of anything. It's not good for you. Right. And ketones can have uh, an acidic effect. And so that's, that's the big problem with it. But it's probably in some ways a, a, tri- a survival response by the body but so what happens is when okay here's the deal a hunter gatherer typically eats one meal a day most groups we know eat one meal a day well how do you do that it was a problem i saw early on with paleo we're not doing it right we're eating paleo three times a day like we do the sad diet yep. standard american diet and but so they're in ketosis hunter gatherers are in ketosis burning ketones burning their own fat explain keto ketosis okay so a lot of people might not know yeah sure so okay so you eat food and carbs, uh, sugars and carbohydrates are stored as fats in our fat cells. Then when you use up sugar, right? And then you start burning ketones. You use up sugar, you deplete the sugar stores, you deplete all the sugar in your bloodstream or what you, from what you've eaten. Right. Right. And so what happens then is the fat comes out of your fat cells. Some of that goes to the liver. It gets converted into ketones. The brain the heart, your muscles will preferentially burn ketones first. It prefers them. If it can get to ketones, it's going to burn it. Why? It's a far superior uh, fuel to glucose. Why is that? Well, it, 
for one, it's kind of fun. It makes energy 35% faster. Hmm. So, and, and I'll, I'll make this, I'll bring this to reality in a minute. That uh, makes it 35% faster, and it makes the same energy as glucose, but does it with 28% less oxygen required. What does that wow. do for your endurance? Okay. Okay. So here's here's how you know, and you're never going to run out of that energy. You got plenty of fat compared to right. your. Okay. So energy is not even in question. So when have you ever had that experience? You've had it when you get your second wind. As a child playing a, a sports, okay, you're there before anybody is, right? Right. You got your second wind, and, and your team goes, "Hey, man, we might we might win this game after all." Andy's got a second wind, right right, <laughs> right? right, 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 right. And and that's true. It only takes one guy to light up that is that is functioning at a different level than everyone else on the court. Yeah. And so, energy's not even in question when you have your second wind. You're not out of breath anymore. Right. Right. And, and well, it's the amazing thing that happens at the and end. And you're thinking of, faster. At the, it's, it's the amazing thing that happens at the end of like a 5K. It's, it's one of the things that got me starting to think about like what if you're out of energy, if you're out of glucose, why is it that your body doesn't shut down at the end of a 5K? You're, you've got 500 meters to go. You've got people on the sides cheering you it's on. It's hard to switch. You're, you're, di- you're dying. And then all of a sudden... Right. You get this wind. You get this right. boost of energy. Where does it come from if you're, if you're out of gas? Because you're, you're not out of gas. What's the gas? And Ketones where is it, and fat. Where is it coming from? Right. Your fat. Right. You got it. That's it. And so the problem is we don't switch very fast. You know, hunter-gatherers can switch very quickly hmm. from burning glucose seamlessly. So they don't have this crash, wake up, go, that's not very effective as a human being you know this this group over there they don't crash and my group does we're going to lose at some point in the competition here for food and and territory and everything else yep so uh yeah survival of the fittest and we are the strongest but we have forgotten our our how we're designed we've forgotten our roots so the ketones then function in in the place of in the absence of Glucose. There's no, it's a different. Here's the deal. The brain needs 20% of the fibers in, it, in the brain require glucose. Okay. They can't burn ketones. Okay. They're super thin and they can't have mitochondria in them because they're so thin. They can't, they can't house mitochondria. So mitochondria required to burn ketones. Glucose is the only thing you can make energy from with, without mitochondria. You get very little glucose, right? For, I mean, sorry, you get very little uh, energy out of it, you get two ATP versus 38 mm-hmm. when you throw in the mitochondria. Uh, and so out of a glucose molecule, but so the ketones then require mitochondria, but the, the rest of the brain wants ketones hmm. and it will preferentially choose it. If it has ketones, like I said, they'll take it. So your muscles. Okay. And so does your heart. So, but most of us are never in Ketosis. Hardly ever. No. And it's hard to do. I talked to a woman yesterday, in fact, here at the FX conference, and she, I said, so how long did it take you to get into ketosis? She said, two years and nine months. It was pure hell. But she was telling me that she had a chronic disease that all of a sudden she reckoned that she thought that might help. And it's a very difficult one. It's an infection. And, um, but it helped her dramatically when it, when it kicked in. Well, I mean, we've, we've been told uh, you know, if you've ever been to a nutritionist over any time in the last 20 years, you've been told that eating frequent, more frequently, smaller meals, yeah, six wrong. meals a day rather than three meals a day, yeah. keep your blood sugar levels up. Don't let them ever drop. Too much work. 
It's too much work for a human being. So this group over here is eating six meals a day, and this group over here is eating one. They're only doing one set of dishes. They're preparing one meal, and the rest right. is whatever they want to do. Right. Who's happier? Who's more satisfied? Hunter gatherers are born retired. Right. I mean, their two and a half year, two and a half hour workday is is average. Right. So, we're, they are what we want to be. I don't know why we're fighting this, but we are. So you eat this one meal a day. Right. Your blood glucose levels go up. You get all this big rush of energy, but maybe not. Maybe you want to go to sleep. <laughs> Right, um, and then we you would. and then you go into a fast, into a twenty-four hour or so fast. Right, and ketones start to be become the fuel that your brain starts to utilize for energy. Yeah, exactly. Here's a question that I think that probably we need to ask is not being asked. Why would the body create as its preferred storage form of energy, which is fat? Why would they? develop that why would our bodies develop that as our energy storage form and then make it bad for us to use yeah that makes no sense zero right we're born in ketosis and as long as a mother is doing nothing but nursing her baby that baby's in ketosis until it starts eating table food do you take it off the breast and give it something else it is it nurtures it grows us faster than anything you can take a little bit of that fat that comes out of our muscles and make a, a little bit of glucose out of that mm-hmm. and so you know the brain can can use that part of the brain that the needs 20% it. the 20% percent of the brain 20 percent right there's there's arguments as to whether that's enough or not I really don't know it seems to me from an evolutionary sense it sure should be yep. enough yep. you know I'm not sure we're measuring all that stuff right but right. if it's not maybe I'm wrong maybe it's, we need more but that doesn't make sense right so, um, yeah, it's, it, it is us. We don't fight this. This, if people drink the ketones, they feel incredible. First time I drank it, okay, that's it. I'm in. I get it. So, so there are two there, that I know of. There are two ways to get into <laughs> keto, you know, get keto. In, into, into ketosis. this ketosis, right? Yeah. So there's one way is nutritionally. Right. It's through your diet. It's hard. It's hard. And there's another way through exogenous ketones. Right. Drinking them. Drinking them. Um, tell me about the difference. Well, it, from a practical point, you, you drank the ketones, you're in ketosis in 30 minutes. Your brain, Even like, though you've got glucose floating around in your system. Well, remember, the body's going to take up the ketones first. Because it's more efficient, it, less oxygen, easier to it's use. It's better fuel. It, it just, um, it's like gasoline instead of uh, wood. Um, depends on what you're burning, but right. <laughs> Right. I mean, you, you, so, you throw a log on the fire and it burns nice and slowly right. and it's going to sustain, but you throw gasoline on the fire and you get a whole different effect. Well, I, I, th- <laughs> I think it's probably more controlled than gasoline. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't want people thinking Less about ketones ex- as fire. Okay, you know? balsa wood versus like a big, large oak log. Right. right. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, the ketones, they're also cell signalers. And if we're designed to be in ketosis 70% of every 24-hour day, which hunter-gatherers are if they're eating one meal a day, yep. then we're missing a big part of our normal, healthy, amazing, incredible metabolism. Right. We're not experiencing it. We are a shadow of what we used to be, and this is a way to get a huge portion of that back. You will be better in every way by drinking the ketones or getting into ketosis if you can do that. And one, right. one meal out of ketosis, and then you're a sinner. It's like 
like the Atkins diet, you know, you can finally get it. Oh, it's painful for the first week, but hey, after that, you really feel good. You know, that was right. Atkins. Right. And then one meal out and you're a center for the next two days trying to get back into ketosis. Right. So I don't, th- okay, my opinion, I don't think ketogenic diet is the right diet. I don't think we're supposed to be in ketosis 24-7 either. Mm-hmm. And so... I think the glucose is kind of a necessary evil, if you will. May have some virtues to it, but it is a necessary evil that we have to do to get get to our coveted <laughs> uh, ketones. And and so, but we uh, historically we have shortened that time as much as we can. One meal a day. Mm-hmm. Those groups that have to eat two meals a day or do, we, they scrunch them up four hours apart, yep. get them as close together as they can and still do it, two meals, so they can maximize their time in ketosis. That's what I think is going on. If you experience ketones, you will know that's what they must be doing hmm. because my brain lights up in the morning. I don't eat coffee. I don't eat. It suppresses my appetite. Mm-hmm. That's how they do one meal a day. I always wondered. I said, you know. I recognize we weren't doing paleo right, like I said, because we're doing it three times a day, always glucose, glucose, glucose. Mm-hmm. And But the hunter-gatherers go, glucose, ketones. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, and then glucose, ketones, here again, right? So every day was like that. and But that was hard to do, and I couldn't figure out how to do it, and I kind of forgot about it until this ketone thing came along, and I started drinking then, and I'm going, this, okay, wait a minute. Let me re-examine this whole thing. Hmm. So I think it makes sense, more sense for you, a person at this point, till we can learn to hack and get switched, be able to switch as quickly as a hunter-gatherer can Mm -hmm. from burning glucose to burning fat and ketones, that the smartest thing to do, uh, and I'm going to be doing it because I function better until I figure out a way to do it, if I do, and that is to drink the ketones in the morning. I have a big 2 o'clock meal that's paleo because it's more nutrient-dense. Mm-hmm. And so that, that I think, is... Um, and then if I want to have more ketones later, I can have with... You know, comes with and without caffeine. So. Do you do only do one meal a day? Do you not have a dinner? I, I have something in the evening. Right now, truthfully, probably about 60% of the time. So oh. I'm working on... But I try to eat fairly soon. And, and then, you know, I'm at, or if I'm trying to lose weight or I just want to really be more pure about it, which I think is the best way to go is drink a little more ketone in the evening. Hmm. I'm not hungry. I'm doing great. I function wonderfully well. And you sleep like a baby. Hmm. The ketones, uh, I had an office manager that she had the worst insomnia I've ever seen. We tried everything. We tried neurologists. We tried psychiatrists. So she wasn't anything wrong with her, but she couldn't sleep. And I even tried Noctec, which is effectively knockout drops. It didn't work. Hmm. She drinks the ketones. She sleeps like a baby. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Wow. I mean, ketones will shut down a seizure in a child uh, when the drugs won't. Two out of three times, it'll shut it down. Wasn't fasting used a lot for uh, treating, getting into ketosis, for treating epilepsy? Right. When I was in med school, we were taught the ketogenic diet was 95% fat. Well, who can do that? I mean, it was like given bad information so you'll never go there. Right. You right. know, well, you can't do that, so why even try? Well, no, it's not. It's, it's 70% right. fat, 25% uh, protein, and 5% carbs. Now, I'll tell you a story. Dr. Adam Nally is, is kind of a hero of mine, this guy, uh, because he's been in ketosis for a long time. He's been treating his patients with it probably, I don't know, 12 years now, something mm-hmm. like that. 
but he's, he's, he, he has a genetic uh, variation where his family just really has um, really high insulin levels. And so he um, what, tried to do something about it. He looked around and... Was and, he a type 2 diabetic? Was he a... No. Uh-uh. Just, he was, his sugars were under control, but at the expense of huge amounts of insulin. Right. Okay. And so he said, I have the same blood sugar as the guy right next to me. And my, my insulin levels are 10 times as high as his. Wow. Was he obesity? I mean... He was overweight. Yeah. Uh-huh. But with that kind of insulin resistance, guess what's going to happen? You're going to, you know, that's a, that's a huge amount of insulin telling you yep. to make fat out of everything every yep. day. Yep. Unfortunately, the, the, uh, the fat cells don't seem to develop much insulin resistance. Right. right. <laughs> so that, that, that's very uh, unfair. So he ended up dropping his protein intake to 20% and went 75% fat, and he lost 60 pounds in two months. Right. Because what was happening is he lowered his insulin requirements enough. Mm-hmm. He was taking that protein and turning it into sugar with gluconeogenesis in the liver. And I learned a lot from that right there because he just taught me that I was a little bit wrong about my liver controlling your blood sugars. I really thought that was what should be controlling it with more like a, a finer uh, control than, say, the pancreas, mm-hmm. which is sort of a coarse control. Right. And so and I still think that's true, but not as great as I thought it was. Right, right. So getting off of the – because the protein – like you said, through gluconeogenesis can convert protein to glucose. Right. And use, so getting, lowering both, gluc, uh, lowering both protein and carbohydrates was required in his case to mm-hmm. bring down his insulin levels. And to drop that 60 pounds. Right. And that's all he needed to do. Right. So that right there was where he, with the knowledge he had in research and in his intelligence, he just goes, this is what I need to do. And he did it and bang, there it was. So as part of your protocol now with your patients, once you get them on the, on a paleo diet, you, I mean, you don't try to change too many things too quickly. Do you, I mean, are you like, okay, you got to go to one meal a day, you're no, paleo no. now, you're, right. No. you don't, right. No, that's overwhelming. I, yeah. My instructions to them is do paleo as best you can. Okay. And they'll come back with huge variations in what that was. I'm right. starting to do a little paleo. I'm eating more protein now and I'm not quite so afraid of fats and other people go, I haven't had any meal that went 100% paleo since I saw you last. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so you right. have both of those. Yep. And, of course, one is going to be telling you incredible praises about how they feel and all the changes that have happened. And, oh, my gosh, I love this. I'll never change. And, you go, you, you know, I, I tell them to my, well, I say to myself, I love you <laughs> because of what you're doing, yeah. you know? Yeah, And it's just heroic for me to see people do those types of things. And uh, it's very self-affirming you know, affirming for me. Uh, that I'm doing the right thing. And of course, that that was very helpful, and we feel like I'm doing the right thing in life. So you move them down a path from, you get them started. Are you moving them in the direction toward what you know hunter gatherer ultimately like going to two meals a day or intermittent fasting or some version of what yeah. we're talking about? Yeah. No. Okay. So that's another thing, the fasting thing. I, I believe in fasting, but it should be done every day. <laughs> Yeah. After so your one meal a day small, or two meals Small a day. meal windows. Right. I just think that's, you know, we're trying to make it too hard. Yeah. Go to all this fasting stuff to try and, you know, yes, I think fasting for maybe six days or something like that actually has some benefits. Mm-hmm. You know, you can detox better, et cetera. Uh, those are, there's some arguments that it takes energy to detox. And so, you you know, having some some food is, is not bad. But I think the real thing is to 
to learn to do it on a daily basis. You know, tigers don't have to detox. They they right. fast because of the they way they to. are. They're incredible hunters. Yeah. You know, or they, they don't have food. They fast because yeah. that's just they're surviving. <laughs> yeah. I, I think something. Let me let me bring out something that I think will be helpful to people. Uh, uh, carniv- we are humans are carnivores. Period. Slam dunk done. Uh, that's a fact. And not omnivores. Well, we're we're more carnivore than omnivore. Okay. Okay. Yes, we're omnivores, and it helps us to survive in, at times when there's not a lot of animals around or whatever. But you can look at the bones of an animal and tell if it's an herbivore or carnivore by looking at the uh, radioactive isotopes in that bone and their ratios. And if you go back 10,000 years or more, okay, and you find human bones, in other words, pre-agricultural humans, mm-hmm. that you can look at those bones, and then in that same strata, that same t- age ago, dig around in there and find the bones of a wolf, a carnivore, and the bones of a deer, an herbivore, and you graph those three out. Okay, what you have is on the bottom, let's say, of this, this graph here, you have the herbivore, the deer. Quite a ways above it is going to be the wolf. And above that, there's humans. Hmm. More carnivorous than the wolf. And that wow. has been done hundreds of times around the world. Hmm. And it's never been found to be any different than more carnivorous than the wolf. Hmm. So that is the vast majority of our genetic past. 10,000 years ago is a wink of an eye. Right. Uh, compared to all these, you know, human history and our genetics. We, people say, oh, but uh, I'm, I'm, lacto- I'm not lactose intolerant. Great. But casein is horrible for you. Mm-hmm. Insulin causes huge amounts. I mean, uh, dairy causes huge amounts of insulin to be released compared to the amount of carbohydrate that's in it. And there's a lot of carb in it. Yep. I think it's because babies, are, it's baby food. And it's supposed to be, insulin makes you grow. Mm-hmm. Growth hormone's biggest effect is to cause uh, insulin-like growth factor to be released by the liver. And so that insulin-like growth factor in insulin has very similar effects. So I, I, that, that's dairy. It's very specific for babies, infants. After three years old, no, we're not designed for dairy. Mm-hmm. And so... Does it matter the form of dairy? Uh, yogurt, fermented dairy, cheese? Fermented's got to be better, but it doesn't get rid of the majority of the problems. Right. There's no need in eating those foods. Why would you do it? You know, I love Because pe- I, I love pizza. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Hey, you're cheating now. Okay. I'm sorry. You... <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> but you know what? It's, it's been you know, 24 hours. I've I... had no pizza. Right. <laughs> Jesus, I'm screwed. Well, you know, okay. So this guy comes in to see me several years ago and he says, Doc, I got the itch from hell. Nobody seems to understand how bad this is. And I won't tell you some of the things he said about how bad it was, but it was, he obviously thought it was incredibly bad. And it was, he said, I've been to 14 dermatologists. I've been to five, five specialty clinics. I spent four days at the Mayo clinic. The only things helped me a little bit is uh, ultraviolet light. He says, I drank a six pack of beer every night just to go to sleep. He said, I heard you were good at helping people. And he's got his cowboy hat on and long leather, you know, coat. Yep. And, yep. And I thought, you know, this guy is serious, bless his heart, you know. And I said, well, you know, I wanted to say, sit down, unload your gun, and let's talk about this. Right, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> let's get that out of the not way that first. I'm against guns, I have plenty. No, of right. <laughs> but let's but, not talk about it in here because I might upset you. Right. <laughs> and so, um, at any rate, so I told him all about. I said, how did your ancestors get here? This is ridiculous. This is happening to you. 
How, how did you get here? How did they get here with this? This isn't normal. I told him all about paleo. I put him on omega-3s and probiotics and a paleo diet. And he came back a couple of times over the next two or three weeks just to see if I really meant what I said. And then I didn't see him for about a year and a half. He <laughs> came back in. He says, Doc, I did your diet, diet exactly for nine months. He said, by four months, I had no itch. <laughs> now, I like cheese enchiladas a lot. <laughs> he says, now I know I have to weigh that out. And wow. that's the way it is for me and pizza. Right. You know, there's a guy in my town there that uh, Bruce Colley, he, he's got a couple of Super Bowl rings, amazing guy. And uh, he, uh, he, they do homemade pizza. His whole family runs 13 kids. Wow. And, yeah, they they're are amazing family, actually. I couldn't have 13 kids, but anyway, yeah. he, he does Jeez. He and his wife do an amazing job. But I have, if I want to eat that pizza, I have to weigh that out. Yeah, right. You know? Right. I was talking to Mary Shenuda the other day. She she does, she has a product called Fat Fudge. You probably have seen her around the yeah. show, and uh, she does she has amazing recipes on her website. She's she's been on the podcast, um, and I was telling her I was doing this keto experiment and look very low carb. She goes, "Oh, you can make my my uh, paleo. I don't she call it paleo pizza or keto pizza. It's got a sausage crust. So she's awesome. like, you go you go get sausage. You take it out of the wrapper. You flatten it all out. It's all spiced and all that stuff because it's that's the way it comes. Awesome." And that becomes the crust of the pizza. I'm like, God. wow. You know, I that love. Sounds good. You know, this is the seventh uh, Paleo FX. At least I think it's seven that I've been. You know, from the beginning. Yeah. And this is the first one I haven't spoken at. Hmm. And um, I got a theory I want to explain. I want to talk to you about it if we got time. Sure. Uh, but it has been so amazing to see the products that have been developed over the last seven years. Yeah. You couldn't. You couldn't plan this out. This is evolution, folks. These are people looking out after their own self-interest and in an, in an incredibly moral way, trying to do something good. They're not trying to right. cheat people. They're trying to provide them with something they want. Yep. And they think they can do it. And they're, they're heroes. Yep. The, the people that were there for the first couple of times, if they didn't change quick, they died out because their products are horrible compared to this stuff out there now. Right. It's just amazing what is being done. And so I, yeah, sausage for the crust. That's I don't know just, what she does for the cheese. I, <clears throat> I, I, yeah, right. <laughs> that's that's so, a whole other story. Meat. Maybe you can turn meat into cheese, something that tastes like cheese. I don't, I know, you know. I don't know. Or maybe something even better than we ever had yeah, for right, pizza. Right. right, you right. Know, there are so many awesome foods yep. you know, out there. Yeah. So if you don't mind, I want to tell about my, this is a theory I have. Yeah. And I call this. Uh, it's the paleo principle, paleo template. Mm -hmm. And that's what I say, tell my patients. I said, you now have a template that allows you to look at food and or to listen to doctors tell you something, some research. If it doesn't fit this paleo template, they're wrong. If, if science conflicts with paleo principle, it's wrong. Science is very, it looks at a tiny piece and thinks they know. It's like the person that says, oh, beans are good for you because it has fiber or because of protein. Da, 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 da. Seriously? Okay, you can show us how good that protein is done in all these experiments or whatever. It's still not good for you. There is a better choice, folks. Mm -hmm. You don't have to rob Peter to pay Paul. Real, real food doesn't do that to you. Right. So now that person is armed. And they have a principle which what they can use. And I started recognizing this goes much further than food and diet. 
it goes to okay so let's take it to the next level if you look if if evolution is the principle uh, that developed the dynamics that developed on this planet it did so as a result of following the nature of all the players involved because they can't do anything else but sure so that's what this planet develops mm-hmm. if you look at a community of organisms you get ecology mm-hmm. that's their inner working dynamics and so you have parasitism you have symbiosis you have commensalism where one benefits and the other's not harmed and so you have all these dynamics you have booms you have busts mm-hmm. you have survival of the fittest and each one is doing its own experiment this is a key part isn't it cool each one is doing its own experiment to survive and doesn't isn't necessarily conscious of the other parts no right they're doing what they got to do they're doing they couldn't do it any other way right okay but now that now okay so now then you look at capitalism capitalism is exactly that okay and bear me out for people who don't like capitalism because you're going to like it when I'm through <laughs> all right so uh, so what happens though is capitalism is exactly that booms busts parasites symbiosis both most people don't uh, engage in a in a barter of some sort or a business deal if they bo- don't uh, both perceive a, a benefit from it yes right true or not and in most cases they do because that's how we've built all this stuff yeah. that's yeah. around here, right? But they're not so, necessarily thinking about the consequences to, to the other people in the... In the I'm getting to that. Right. Okay, so here's the deal. So then you, then you, look, at, uh, you look at the internet. Nobody could have sat down. You and I could have not have planned that out and made anything out of it. Right. Uh, we could have never, never could have imagined something as incredible as what we have now. Yep. Talk into your phone, ask a question, bang, you got the answers. And- I, I remember when the uh, iPod came out. You know, I was yeah. telling my son about this. Yeah. I'm like, you don't understand. We, we, people would carry around crates of records. Right. Like, they go to college. We go to show up to college, right. and they take out of their car four milk crates, five milk crates of albums, right. of, of record albums, of cassettes, of, right. you know, maybe, then, it, then it became CDs. Right. Some people think that's ancient history. All of a sudden, totally irrelevant. the iPod came out, <laughs> yeah, right. and I was like, my entire, I remember a road trip I took once with my first iPod, yeah. and I'm like, my whole music library is on this little thing. Right. I, I can listen to anything I want. It was right. like transformative. It changed my life. Exactly. And I could never have predicted that would ever happen when I was right. carting around record crates, you know? Right. Okay, so now here you have this internet, which is, has... You know, you got Yahoo or you got these. I remember I used to go to uh, Northern Light, which was a a search engine I loved. It's gone. Right. You know, Google's there. So you have booms, you have busts, you have viruses, you have parasites, you have all this whole thing, all these dynamics. And everybody's looking out for their own self-interest. Yep. Right? Now, the problem with evolution is it's very violent. Right. It has no concept of justice. Right. But now that consciousness is here walking around, can we recognize the need to create stuff that is faithful and true to our earth and has to be those same dynamics as evolution? Individuals have to have the freedom to make the choice for their own self-interest, for example, mm-hmm. and make it not necessarily fair, but at least just take out the violence with it, if we can make it fair, that'd be great. We, you know, we're, that we're, we're working on that too. Everybody gets a good education, that kind of thing. We mm-hmm. want that. Everybody, I think most everybody believes in that. How to do that's the argument, right? Right. But 
can we do that? And, and I walked around a couple of years, yes, I know we can, I want, to, I want to solve this. And all of a sudden, bang, I got it. It's ethics, it's morality. Okay, how do you do that? No force, no fraud, and long-term thinking, hmm. which takes in exactly what you just asked me. So now you have a system, when you look at government, you can't have Washington making decisions for us. The chance of them getting it right is zero, folks. Right. Guaranteed it's wrong. We need 320 million people. We need 20,000 townships. We need 50 states making decisions. And Texas has a problem. Ah, uh, wait, Maryland had this, right? Didn't they have to, what they do with it? I think South Dakota, let's check on that. Click, click on the internet and you figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. Or phone calls or whatever. Right. Send somebody up there to visit and find out how it all worked. But we, now we've got this communication. We can answer these questions. But it still needs to be faithful to the paleo template. Yeah, like So one of the things I think I hear you saying is the centralization of decision making doesn't just doesn't work. It's not paleo. Right. Okay. Right. It's going to fail. Well, it's funny because in the whole life challenge, one of the things we talk about is we have all these teams that are playing all over the world. They're playing this game all over the world. We have never we don't give prizes. We don't we give a broad template. We, we're, there are seven right. daily habits that you follow, and you do these seven daily habits over the course of, of eight weeks, and you, 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 you make little changes to your life. But when we have a team that joins from, you know, Wisconsin, and then another one from Arkansas, and then another one from California, and, we have, they're, and they're coached teams, right. we're like, you, you know your community. What makes sense for right. your community? Bingo. What do you want to focus on? Right. How do you want to right. make how do you want to integrate what our template is right. that makes it specific for your community? And right. you, you get to make those decisions. Like we're not, right. we're not dogmatic. We're not going to tell you you have to do CrossFit. We're not going to tell you you have to do Strongman. We're not going to tell you you have to use rowing ergometers or run. You get to, you, you've got to figure, it's your responsibility to figure that out. Absolutely. Exactly. It's not just you can. You, you need to figure it well, out. Well, that's the problem with this paleo or evolutionary template probably evolutionary temp. I'm still working on a name for it, but uh, probably evolutionary templates better. But the, 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 there was a situation in, uh, yeah. Okay. So what you're saying is that the, that it does put responsibility on the individual. Yes. And that's a lot of people's greatest fear. Yes. But they haven't, but they're raised wrong. I mean, we're so programmed to fix me doctor to the government doing all these things. I'm incapable of figuring it out. You know, there's nothing greater than to see a child get confidence in itself and its back gets straighter and the eyes get brighter and they're smiling and they're excited about what they can do and what their, what their life is going to be. You know, in one fell stroke, they, they are a different little being. Yep. And so, you know, I remember uh, several years ago, uh, Colorado was looking at all these emergency rooms and looking at those that had better outcomes. It was the bigger ones for the most part. And they had these protocols in place, Right. And, and so, so they tried to make everybody follow those protocols. And, and some people were saying, that, oh, and if a doctor doesn't, they need to have their license removed. You know, and I'm going, you idiots. You know, what works in these big trauma centers, yes, they've worked this out and, they've, and, they, and that's been helpful. But in these smaller towns, it's totally different. And they were mm-hmm. trying to apply that principle to right, all of medicine right, right, right. and everywhere. And so you come to my town it's going to be totally different for what's going to work there than somewhere else. Right. There's a lot of independent people there and are, are very, uh, you know, they, they like this independence that I'm giving them, teaching them how to do it. Well, it's a strange world we live in today because we have such a ability to connect small towns with big towns, with major cities. Right. We, we can look at what works in Denver and think that, oh, they have the solution that we should do here in, you know, Podunk, Idaho. 
and it doesn't necessarily apply. Right. And 10,000 years ago, 20,000 years ago, you, there's no choice. You, right. you, you lived within, you lived around a tribe of 20 people and that's all you saw your whole life. And, and the environment slapped you down for right. making a bad decision or not being responsible. You had to be responsible. If you weren't responsible, you died. Right. And now we don't have that, those consequences. You know, it's less harsh. It's, uh, yeah, so we all die together. <laughs> That's right. Well, slowly we are. That's you know? what I mean. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I right. mean, it's very, hard to, it, it's very hard to replicate that sort of rigor that yeah. was built. It was built into the system right. 10,000 years ago. There was no option. And now, so that's where the morality comes in. I think that that we can we can decrease the harshness of this whole thing, while at the same time recognizing the principles that that demand to be followed. Yeah, but it has to come with personal responsibility. You know, it doesn't. Hundred percent. It doesn't work without that. Right. You have to be, which is what you're teaching your patients. I mean, it's, that's right. fantastic. And that's right. I wish they are better human the... beings for recognizing they can take control of their lives. Right. I mean, some of them already were. Right. But not everybody. And so those that, that make that transition, it's fun to see. Yeah. If we, I mean, if we could make that shift in the world, but just the relationship between the doctor and the patient that, you know, teaching patients yeah. that they are responsible for actually making the choices for themselves yeah. and what works for them and their life. Right. And they're their primary care provider, not right. their doctor. Right. You know, that that would transform the world. That would transform this. That would put the onus on them. Well, and then they would apply it elsewhere. Absolutely. It's just like it this would, paleo it would, template. It would lose template. out. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. One other thing I would say. So, okay, so what do you think would happen when you look at our representative system of government, when we send somebody to Washington to represent us? What happens? Guess what? You mean other than they stay looking there for 27 years and become corrupt and... Uh, yeah, guess what they're doing? They're looking out after their own self-interest. <laughs> yes, they 100% are. 100% of the time, that yes. is going to happen. That is, a, that is an evolutionary fact, folks. Right. Okay, of so you can see... Of course they are. Right. Uh, what, you can see, we're programmed to do that. Right. Right. So that's how so you... we got to get them out of there. we got to rotate those dudes in and out. <laughs> Which is the way it was built. Too, right? <laughs> it's right. We got they, They're going to get there. You got to get them in. You got to get them out. Right. Which is the way it was supposed to be done. Right. So huh. yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. That's a great model. Well, it, great template. It is, and it's the only one there is. Right. <laughs> right. Well, because it takes really a look at the way the yeah, it's the way the Earth was built, and it you just you just literally apply it to the rest of life. It Bingo. makes total sense. Yeah, it does, and it's very empowering. So okay. It's kind of like, you know, now the, the, okay, so when somebody, you know, I empower my patients and they go listen to another doctor, it's like they want to come back and say, doc, you know, about the other doc or whatever, or expert, whoever it is, the jig is up. <laughs> I already, I get this. You don't understand. I'm not listening to this nonsense anymore. Right. I get it. Right. Okay. Now it's bigger. The jig is up. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So. Yeah. Lane, thank you so much. Thanks for yeah, sitting down fun. with me. Um, I know there are a lot of other ways you could spend an hour and 20 minutes of your time at Paleo <laughs> FX, but I really appreciate you being here. I don't know if I could spend any better than this. It's been great fun. It's, it's great. Um, tell me more about how people find you. So if people hear this podcast and they want to connect, ask yeah. you questions. I, to, you you know, know, um, probably the best way to contact me would be sebringclinic.com. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, they have a, a phone number there you could call. You can you can ask you know, questions, etc. Sebring, S-E-B-R-I-N-G, just like the car, sebringclinic.com. Um, if you're interested in the ketones, I refer to ketones as the missing piece to paleo. The missing piece to paleo.com. Oh, there you go. The missing nice. piece to paleo.com. Go there and uh, you can experience the ketones. And uh, that would be, uh, and if you're, uh, if you have questions, then I've got my sebringclinic.com where you can ask questions. But uh, yeah, that uh, the missing. Are you active on Facebook at all or on I'm Twitter active. or? Sure, I'm on Facebook. How do we, yeah. how do people find you there? Uh, there's, there's Sebring Clinic on Facebook. Okay. And then there's Lane Sebring. There's a, a Dr. Lane Sebring that uh, somebody else uh, made for me at one point a long time ago. And I didn't even know it was there. <laughs> But it was uh, it was a company I was working with, uh-huh. and uh, so yeah, I uh, developed some a green drink, uh, Patriot Power Greens. It's been pretty amazing, actually. So, but uh, that company built the website. Cool. But the the real one is uh, just Lane Sebring, and my nephew's name Lane Sebring. So he's so you'd have to distinguish. I'm the older one of the two. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I got it. Got it. Uh, well, um, thank you. And uh, thanks for your generosity. And thanks for all that you're doing in the in the world to 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 build this muscle, this responsibility muscle and to bring wow. real health to um, to the world. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. But I, I just want to say one more thing that our potential is so much greater than what we're experiencing right now. Life is not supposed to be this hard. And now that we have this consciousness, I think we can actually use these principles and make an, an amazing place. I really think a utopia, effectively, uh, not literally, but a, a, a human utopia is possible, you know, just trying to be smart about it and uh, working together. It's a great vision. Thanks. All right. See ya. See ya. Yeah. The Whole Life Podcast is produced by our podcast team. Winslow Jenkins, Becca Borowski, and Ernie Hurtado. You can find all of our episodes, links, and complete show notes at wholelifechallenge.com forward slash podcast. The way that I've found is the best way to listen to podcasts is to subscribe so that episodes automatically get delivered right to your mobile device. You can do that in any podcast app on your phone. And hey, if you like the podcast, please do me a favor. Go to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. And recommend it to your friends. I'm Andy Petronic, and thanks so much for listening.